Yes, we are thankful for the ministry of day camp. As was said, uh, that's going to be uh, tonight's service as we reflect upon that. I would like to say that uh, there have been uh, two professions of faith, uh, to my knowledge, for which we are, are grateful. And uh, let us take a moment and thank God for the answers uh, to prayer regarding uh, day camp. Our Father, we, we thank you. We have prayed for day camp. We have prayed publicly. We have prayed privately. And, oh God, you have heard. Uh, you uh, worked. You, you moved. Uh, prayers were heard and answered. We prayed for uh, the weather. And, Lord, uh, you gave beautiful days. Uh, there was no rain. Uh, children were able to swim, do the activities. Uh, Lord, we prayed for safety, and no one was injured or hurt. Oh, Lord, we uh, prayed for the presentation of the word, and you worked and you moved. We prayed for the salvation of individuals, and too have professed faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, for hearing, for answering our prayers. Lord, uh, teach us of your faithfulness and your goodness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some messages are a joy to deliver. Some are not. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, speaks of the sadness that was brought to him as he had to convey uh, some of the matters to the Corinthians that he had to convey. But as we look at the book of Romans... Paul is extremely pleased with the church at Rome. And it causes him delight to think about them. And Paul has some compliments for the Romans. If you look with me at Romans 15, 14, that's our key verse today. It says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is one of those one another passages, but it is not like the other one another passages that we have looked at thus far. For in the other one another passages, they were exhortations of behaviors or activities that we were to engage in in our relationship one to another. This is not a command or an exhortation, but rather a statement of fact. It's about a relationship that existed already among the people of God at Rome. Paul's words are complimentary, but not flattering. Paul, when he spoke praise to those to whom he was writing, was sincere. Was sincere. As opposed to flattery, which is insincere. Paul was willing to call things the way they were. He was willing to be honest and candid and straightforward. Concerning the Corinthians, he said this in 1 Corinthians 3.1, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul says, I can't speak to you, Corinthians, as though you're spiritual. You're not. You're not. You are infants. In Christ, you are people still living in your fleshly ways, meaning that they lived according to their desires. They had not yet yielded themselves in the way that they should to the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews characterizes his audience 
as slow or dull learners. Hebrews 5.11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So the Bible is honest in its appraisals. Writing to those that haven't matured as they should, saying by this time you ought to be teachers, and you still need milk. You still can't handle the solid food. You still can't engage in the weightier doctrines of the word of God. So it's with joy that we look at this passage this morning. For the church at Rome, Paul has glowing praise. Paul is confident. That is, he has been convinced or persuaded concerning the overall spiritual progress of the church at Rome. Again, notice verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied. Satisfied. The idea of this word satisfied is that much thought, discernment, and consideration went into Paul's assessment of the spiritual condition of the church at Rome. What he's about to say to the church of Rome are not sentiments and appraisals of others that Paul is passing on, but he speaks of his own convictions, his own certainty. He says, I myself am satisfied. He had taken great pains to try to ascertain what was the spiritual condition of the church at Rome. He did not make some half-hearted assessment. He looked at all the facts and he said, I'm satisfied. I am convinced. I am persuaded concerning you that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What he is about to say cannot characterize every single person who worships at Rome, to be sure. But he speaks of the overall tenor and condition of the church. And he speaks of it very favorably. I'm thankful as I look at this passage this morning and seek to exegete it to some degree, that the assessment that Paul makes of Rome, I would concur concerning our own congregation. As I out among you, and as I reflect on the condition of our church, I think that these three compliments that Paul gives to the church at Rome, we can give to one another. I am satisfied, as Paul was satisfied, that you, my brothers, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So we want to unpack these three compliments this morning and then learn of their significance. First, Paul compliments the Romans on being full of goodness, verse 14. That you yourselves are full of goodness. The word that is translated is full is found only nine times in the New Testament. It's not your typical word for full. It stresses the inward reality of the characteristics it describes. The concept in this verse is that the Romans have been overcome by goodness. They are full in the sense that goodness has won out. Goodness has conquered. 
Goodness has flourished. Goodness had started from within, and it just sprouted and grew and overcame all of the wickedness, all of the bitterness, all of the sin that dwells within and now was manifesting itself in an outward goodness. Let me show you in comparison the negative. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Romans 1.29. Romans 1.29. There it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full. That's our word for full. In Romans 15, 14, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. You see, this evil that was within was manifesting itself in outward behaviors. Because there was this evil within It resulted in murder. It resulted in strife. It resulted in decease. It resulted in maliciousness. There were activities and actions that flowed out of this inner evil that was just boiling up inside and flowing out into all this misery and heartache. Now Paul writes to the Romans in 1514 and says, You are full of goodness. And this goodness is sprouting and growing and moving and flowing out. And now there are deeds of righteousness and goodness. The idea is that these righteous deeds are sincere. They are motivated from a good heart. They are not like the hypocrites. They are not just putting on outward actions, but from within are actually producing good fruit. It is not simply an outward show or a put-on behavior, but rather their actions flow out of a heart that in truth and sincerity desires to do good and be good. It speaks of a regenerative heart, a heart that is controlled or filled by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. A marvelous transformation had taken place in the lives of the Romans. Romans 6.17 Paul says, But thanks be to God, That you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Thanks be to God that once you were slaves of sin, but now have reached a heart of obedience and a standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul praises them because they are full of goodness. As I look at our congregation, 
I see our church as people who have been born again. People who have been concerned about their spiritual growth and development. A people with whom the Holy Spirit is at work. And there is a sincerity, a a true desire to be good and to do good. To yield ourselves to the word of God. Not to resist it. Not to rebel against it, but to welcome it. To appreciate it. To receive it. To honor it. And desire to live in accordance with its teaching. Filled with goodness. Coming from within and flowing out into our conduct. Secondly, Paul compliments the Romans on being filled with knowledge. This word filled is different from the word that we just looked at for full. Two different words in the same verse. The Greek word for filled in this part of the verse speaks of fullness in the sense of complete. Complete. Whole. We use the word in this way in which we might talk about uh, filling in a crossword puzzle or to fill in the blanks on a questionnaire. In that sense, to fill is to complete. You fill in a crossword puzzle. You complete the crossword puzzle. You fill in the blanks. You complete the questionnaire. You bring what is lacking and make it Complete. Paul is saying that they are complete in their knowledge, meaning that there's no gaping holes. No gaping holes. No areas in which they are flagrantly unlearned. But they understand the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. It says that they are filled with knowledge. Filled with knowledge. Knowledge is not simply the accumulation of facts, as this word is used in the Word of God. Knowledge, there's knowledge, there's wisdom, and when you put the two together, this biblical word has within it this basic meaning of understanding. They understand the word. They get it. They get it. You know, sometimes people don't understand what they spout. Okay? Uh, We can learn certain things by rote memory. uh, Our times tables. But we may not really be able to use the information in a very practical way. You know, sometimes as children memorize the scriptures, and uh, as they are spouting them off, sometimes they say some cute things uh, when they replace one word with another word because they don't understand what that verse means. They don't understand what its significance is. Paul writes to them and says, you understand the word of God. So they not only understood salvation, 
But they understood God's purpose in saving the people. In Romans chapter 8, they understood not only the way of salvation, but the grace of God in salvation. They realized that they had been called of God. They had been chosen by him. They understood that unto themselves that they were rebellious people, but God did a work of grace in their lives and saved them. And not only did they understand that God saved them in Romans chapter 8, but in Romans chapter 9 and 10, they realized that God was saving them as a people. Gentile and Jew coming together to be one people. They understood the purpose. They understood the reason of why it was that God had saved them. For good works. To glorify his name. They understood what God was about. They understood then the implications of Jew and Gentile living together. They understood the implications of redeeming a people and of spreading the gospel. They realized that old habits and ways of living are to be changed as they live transformed lives to the glory of God. They understood the moral and religious implications for living with those who come from a vastly different background and come into the church with no Jewish heritage. Chapters 12 and 13, even as we looked at last week, where we are to welcome one another, they got it. They understood the message of the Word of God. I'm thankful this morning. I believe that basically we understand. We are getting it. We realize not only what it means to be saved in the sense of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but we understand the implications of that for our daily lives. We understand the call of God upon us, even as in the book of Romans, therefore, therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship, or King James, which is your reasonable service. We understand that there's a call of God on our hearts. We realize that there's a responsibility to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and honoring glory to God. Not that we're working for our salvation. Not that our goodness is going to obtain salvation for us. But rather we understand that now our goodness can bring glory to God and be a testimony to others of what God can do in the heart of a life of a wicked individual. The goodness can flow out of it. We get it. We understand. And then Paul has this third compliment. The third compliment is that the Romans are able to instruct one another. Notice the end of verse 14. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and now these words, able to instruct one another. Able to instruct one another. The word to instruct is not the word to teach in a formal sense. Not saying that they weren't able to teach in a formal sense. It's just not the emphasis. It's not what Paul is stressing here. The word that uh, is here is the word that comes from Nathao which is nathetic counseling, uh, Brother Clyde, and it is this aspect of encourage 
admonish, counsel. The ability to interact with each other in a practical, godly wisdom. To address the situations, events, and circumstances of life. They know how to live together. But even more than knowing how to live together, even more than knowing how to get along, they know how to solve problems. They know how to deal with differences. They know how to encourage the person who is down, who is discouraged, who is weak, who is frail. They know how to lift them up. They know how to rebuke the proud, the self-reliant, the person who seeks to live independently of God and of others. They understand who and what they are to be, and now they are able to communicate with each other and help each other along the path of who and what they are to be. Because they are good, and because they are loving, because they are filled with goodness, and because they have knowledge, because they have understanding, because they get it now, they're able to help others. You see, we're not ready to help others until we deal with the issues of our own sinfulness. And we're not really ready to help others until we have the understanding of what God wants from us and how God wants us to live and we are seeking to live those things out. But once we come to grips with those things, now we are prepared to help others. I'm mindful mindful of the book of Ezra. Ezra was a, a priest, and he was a priest after God's own heart. And it says of Ezra, for Ezra had prepared his heart, first, to seek the law of the Lord, secondly, to do it, and thirdly, to teach in Israel's statutes and ordinances. First, to understand, second, to do it, Then he's ready to teach and preach. Again, this is not the word for teach and preach in the formal sense, but it's the word to encourage, counsel, instruct, to interact with each other. And it certainly would include teaching and preaching in public ways as well, I'm sure. But this is the outcome of being filled with all goodness and knowledge. This is the practical and glorious result. They are capable of what the Jewish leaders had thought themselves capable of, but weren't. In Romans chapter 2, verse 20, in rebuke, Paul says of them, You are an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. But they were the blind leading the blind. They thought themselves ready. You know, there are a lot of people that are quick to give other people advice. But what they have to say is not all that helpful. There are know-it-alls who are ready to condemn, ready to instruct, ready to impart their thoughts, their ideas. But they don't prove to be very helpful. 
Paul says, you got it. You got it. This brings us to a very interesting application in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 comes in a present uh, consideration of the believer's standing before God. Notice in Romans chapter 15, verse 22. For this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul is going to outline an argument of why Paul hasn't come to Rome yet. This is a completion of what started in Romans chapter 1. I wouldn't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed unto you but was prevented thus far. Paul had repeatedly planned to go to the Romans. But he not, not made it there yet. And he's beginning to tell them why. The first step in answering the reason why is Paul is saying, you don't need me. You really don't need me. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that you have goodness. I am convinced that you have knowledge. I am convinced that you can minister to one another. You're able to do it without me. You know? You are able to minister to each other. You're able to visit each other. You're able to pray with each other. You're able to encourage each other. You're able to help each other. If you see a brother or sister in need, you're capable, you're ready to go and talk to that person. And encourage them. If you see somebody that is drifting away, you have the ability to talk to that person and try to bring them back. Paul says, I am convinced. I am convinced that you are full of goodness, full of knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Notice then what else Paul says, starting at verse 15 of Romans 15. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God that is given to me. You know these things, Paul says, but I've written boldly by way of reminder. Sounds like Peter. When Peter wrote and said, I stir you up by way of remembrance. We get to a place of spiritual maturity where, you know, we're not learning a whole lot of new things. We don't have very many aha moments in which, wow, I never thought about that before. Or, I didn't know that the Word of God said that. 
that it just comes out as, as, as blue. As, as new Christians, we hear that all the time, but as we mature, as we grow in our faith, it's not so much now that we are learning new things, but we're reminded of what we already know. We're reminded of what we already know. We are encouraged to put into practice what we already know we should do. When I talk to most people, sit across a counseling table, they know how they should live. They know what is the right choice. They're not really looking for instruction as to what does the word of God say about this. They know. They're looking for a cheerleader. They're they're looking for someone to pray with them. Looking for someone to say, yeah, you, you can do that by God's grace, by God's help. It's worth it. You're able to do that. You're able to pray. You're able to sit. You're able to encourage. You have your own testimony of how God has worked in your life. What God has done for you and your children and your marriage. You can speak of what God has done for you. You can speak about changes that have taken place in your life. All of our testimonies are different. But they are united in the fact that they speak of what God's grace can do in the life of an individual. But we are uniquely qualified to speak to certain issues in our lives because of our own testimony. Seek out those kinds of people and minister to them. Back to Romans 15, 15 and following. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Two more thoughts that Paul conveys. Number one, that this was what God did, not him. This is what God did, not him. We put far, far too much emphasis on human beings. especially people that have ministered to us. People, it's what God has done, not what a particular person has done. We put far too much emphasis on individuals' giftedness and talents and abilities. It's what God has done. And when you understand that, we are ready to minister to one another because it's what God does. It's the... Spirit of God that's at work. 
It's the Spirit of God that equips. It's the Spirit of God that answers. We are ready to minister to one another. And then his fourth point is that God had called him basically to preach the gospel. To take it to places that had never heard. So Paul is writing them and saying, verse 23, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Paul says, I'm finally coming. But then he goes on to say, but not until I go to Jerusalem first. Because you don't need me. You're equipped. You are ready. People rejoice. Rejoice. You are ready to do the work that God has called you to do. God has raised up people in our church. We have a mature church. We have people in our church that are spiritually strong. We have people that can teach the word of God as well as some of the preachers in our denomination. And I mean that sincerely. We have people that can handle the word of God. We have elders that understand doctrine. We have Sunday school teachers that are ready and able to lead children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that are ready to help them to grow and develop in their personal relationship to Jesus Christ. We have our deacons who are fully equipped and ready and able to minister to our shut-ins, to bring messages of peace and comfort and help. They know what to do. They know what to say. They know how to act. They know how to live. And they know how to encourage others. We have a congregation that is ready and able to pray for each other. That we don't need to just have somebody lead us in prayer on Wednesday nights, but we can divide into groups and pray because we know how to pray. We know what to pray. We know what to do. And we are to rejoice in doing it. And free each other up to do it. We have a body of Christ in which we don't need a handful of people doing everything. We have a plethora of talented gifted, spiritually mature people that can do the work of God. We need to spread it out. We need to empower and impart those responsibilities to others. We have to be like Paul and be convinced. I am convinced 
that there are people that are full of goodness, full of knowledge, ready and able to instruct one another. We need to be convinced about each other. And, as I say, empower, authorize, enable to do the work of God. It's not only a handful. It's the body of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of your word, the way that you are maturing a people of God. We thank you for your work in our midst and how we can see that you are raising up people. We are thankful for the people that have come forward from our congregation and, yes, have entered even into full-time Christian service. And we thank you that you're raising up young people who are now going to the field. We, we are thankful, O oh God, that you are at work. We see disciples being made. We see people being groomed. And I pray, O oh God, that we would see it in its totality and rejoice as we look at the maturity of our congregation, the spiritual maturity, the depth, the wisdom, the understanding. And I pray, O oh God, that you would take away any of the shyness, the timidness, make people see that it's ultimately the Spirit of God that brings about the change, the transformation in the heart of an individual. And, oh God, help us not to take on the attitude that only we can do this. But, oh Lord, give us confidence to empower and enable and equip and impart to others this great work of instructing one another, ministering to one another, For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.